0: The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
1: Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
2: But then after I finished my order, it said, oh, you can share it with your friend. And I thought, well, if I send it to Mark, it's just going to go into a spam folder, right? Not
3: anymore. I (laughs) I turned off that rule. (laughs) That's no longer there.
4: (laughs) Couldn't resist.
3: Just to be safe, I'm going to check.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't send it to you. So hey everybody, welcome to episode 312 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we also have Mark Rubin in San Jose, California, Oop.
4: where he's on fire. Didn't st- we should probably do the check before we have to go too far. Yeah, I'm to just saying, like I
2: just, I'm hoping Mark hasn't fallen asleep or something. Well, All right,
3: kind of nodding off, today was a long day, <laughs> <laughs> and it's hot here. Yeah, you guys have got. Oh, is it? The, you guys have got the the whole
4: smoke thing going on right now, right? It's yeah, the, actually. On, on yeah. Twins. Oh,
3: that's that may be. I Wonder if that's part of it. If the smoke is steeping. Orange, orange skies and yeah, and just, I, really. Wow. Yeah. I, I walked out What's of my house on? for the first time today, this afternoon, and as soon as I opened the door, it was like walking into like a in like a brownish red orange like really like you know like if you have a colored light bulb in a room or something like that you know it was really all, it was like that yeah it was crazy yeah
2: is it like fires or something yeah or? california's
3: on fire yeah again well wow. happens every year
4: it's summer man like I, yeah yeah i don't remember if it was last year or the year before but i remember that uh oregon and vancouver british columbia had this like pincer attack on the seattle area with both of them having uh fires going on and weather patterns yeah, there's a lot of
2: fires in vancouver
4: yeah weather patterns being what they were it meant that it stuck around for a long time and i remember um how gross it felt that i'd i'd go outside and it felt like i could smell campfire yeah. I mean, it was nowhere near a yeah, campfire yeah. you know it had that scent to it in the air yeah, yeah.
3: we've also is had it like lightning is high. it
2: naturally naturally occurring stuff kind of thing or
3: well we did have like we it... did have uh thunder and lightning storms last week for the first yeah. i mean it's i don't know when when since but it's been it's very rare and we and we had them um but we've had record high temperatures for the past week or so um right now it's uh i'm just looking it up where it is today uh, I can't, hold on, but hourly. Okay, right now it's only 84 degrees out where I live, but uh, mm. but we were having 105 degree temperature you know, a few days ago. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. You you stop that. The, you, know, you didn't say either of us were on the line today.
2: Huh? Oh, I didn't say. Should I say you were on the line? No, not necessarily. Yeah.
3: I just noticed that you usually choose one of us and one of us is on the on line the but the, line. Other, the other one isn't yes
2: yes well but you know it's, speaking of lines <laughs> um, I did actually follow up with Carol about Belmont her uh, her, ex- her phone exchange when she was a kid and it was you're right it was the neighborhood people mm. would would all have been Belmont mm-hmm. even though she didn't live in Belmont but they would have all had the same exchange but similar to how you would like you know phone numbers today right so my my next three digits is 778 and there's a lot of 778s seven, seven, in my neighborhood right so what are the last four huh
3: What are the last four?
2: Eight six zero nine. Is that true? <laughs> but, but I don't have a, I don't have a house phone anymore, so oh matter. okay okay <laughs> yeah. I was just um, seeing if you yeah. would
3: announce to the world what your phone number was, so that well you Andy know if you want to order pizza. I
2: think I think it's seven seven eight seven eight eight zero. We'll get you get you the pizza, the local pizza guy. Oh, I see. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, don't quote me on that. I may be wrong. Yeah. Uh, another follow up too. I, I mentioned I don't know if you guys uh, are talking about digital digital. Uh, retouching last week. I don't know if I mentioned Hel ChromaCom by name or used we'll to call it Combi, um, but I found a link here. There's not much information on the Hell Chromacrom system. We were talking about uh, the the price of the Mac, right? Being uh, $51,000 or something like that when you soup it up. But these systems, and there's a link here in the show notes, um, uh, were basically, they were built in Germany by Hell ChromaCom company and they were like, this is how you originally did photo retouching and digital retouching and uh, they were like uh, $750,000 systems back in the 80s. I think I said 60s and 70s. It was actually 80s, so that's the fact check for that. Um, And uh, just as a side note too, and I've forgotten the name of the person, but I'll put a link in the show notes, but the person, the scientist or physicist, I guess, or whatever, who invented um, bit mapping or or pixelization or pixels, uh, passed away this week. Uh, So yeah, he was uh, the the father of uh, digital imaging, I guess, right? Um, So Two things on the fact check there. And I, I, I so I Google, googled around. There's no, there's not even a Wikipedia page on the Hell ChromaCom system, which is surprising considering how many people I, of my age anyway would have worked on those workstations when they were young men coming up in the industry. Anyway.
4: I was not familiar with the name, so when I looked at today's show notes and said "Hell Combi," I said, "Ooh, boy, <laughs> what is this link going to be that I'm going to click on?" Yeah, uh, yeah. Apparently, it's yeah. it's German, right? According to the article, yeah. Okay,
2: yeah. Hell Combi, yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah, they were. Com- uh, I think Cytex was another competing
2: system too, but uh, yeah, they were all they were early uh, digital. They, I mean, they were still outputting conventional film, but uh, but yeah, this was early, you know, retouching and that kind of stuff, color correction, uh, predating. Photoshop, obviously, right? But I think Photoshop came hot on the heels, and I think the Knoll brothers were actually involved in this kind of business, which is when they invented Photoshop, right? And uh, there you go.
3: So, are those in the picture? Are those the disk drives that are built into the drawer or built into the cabinet? There, um, those look like yeah, those yeah. So, floppy drives.
2: Yeah, well, there yes, yeah, exactly those on the side. But but if in the other picture there, that's uh, the one that looks like um like a bunch of washing machines lined up against each other. Those are the drives, and they were actually 200 megabytes, not 5 megabytes megabytes like i said yesterday so quite quite big friend of mine used to have one on used to have like a dead drive like the just the platter sitting on his desk and, and they were like 12 inch you know lps all stacked on top of each other
3: now that now that whole thing is uh it's on a small thumb drive <laughs> seriously yeah do you think it takes yeah. up
4: more than like a very tiny corner of that thumb drive just well, yeah. the capacities yeah. i mean you're right that it, it will fit yeah. in there in the
2: i'm sure you can put all of this in your in your apple watch now in terms of the amount of storage Storage, right, so
4: probably
3: let's see 300 yeah, megabytes. You said each of those, so that whole thing's about a terabyte. You can't put that in your Apple Watch yet, right? Right, but uh, I think that's megabytes, only because i gigabyte. a gigabyte, yeah, I was like, this is really
2: <laughs>
4: tiny thumb drives. that like the USB connector is like bigger than the actual data portion. So I felt like these, um, these large spinning drives were probably yes, they, they would fit on the tiny thumb drive in the Whoa. like marble in a tin can sort of fit, sort of way,
3: yeah, for sure. Most of the reason a thumb drive is as big as it is is so you don't lose it the chip itself is 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 tiny in there for most of those things
4: yeah otherwise it'd be yeah. like you know you'd sneeze and be like don't move you're gonna destroy my thumb drive <laughs> let me right. go find the right. damn thing where is it right
2: right so in terms of real-time follow-up here um russell kirsch is the name is the digital photo pioneer father of the pixel died at 91 on the 15th of august So yeah there's a picture of uh his son that he was one of the one of the first things he scanned i'll put a link in the show notes that but uh, yeah russell Kirch. yeah
4: and Kirch. just to clarify because when i saw the headline I, I had to really think about it when they showed the age i was like oh okay so they probably mean like the actual original pixel as we have this technology yeah. for our screens just given the the reuse of terms in our industry i thought it had something to do with the google pixel the phone and so, uh, I, oh man that's like rather oh, young really? to die and I was like, oh wait no it was <laughs> the original pixels got it got it i get it now yeah
2: yeah yeah
4: it's mean, still sad guy. but like it's a little different Given the the age expectation that I had uh, when I yeah. better understood which uh, technology was being talked about, yeah, yeah,
3: for sure. Uh, the kids today, I mean, <laughs> I know eh? we're going to have Healthy to rename. We're going
4: to have to call the you know some some new open source project like Hellcombi or something just to make it harder for people to Google mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, just reuse. But well, you stuff. can
2: Google Hellcombi, nothing comes up. I stumbled across this particular
4: listing anyway. So what do we got for follow up there? I mean, one of these I have is a follow up to the app attestation uh, capabilities that I talked about last episode. So Bruno Rocha has an article here on more of how that works. Um, so we'll have that link in the show notes for those of you driving at home. It looks like it works on a um, public and private key mechanism where sort of interestingly, Apple is um, is involved in that chain. So you, you ask it to generate a key and what you end up getting is an identifier that can let the iOS device know how to find that key. So you don't get the actual key itself. And this is explained better in the notes, but you end up essentially providing the public key to your back end. So it, it takes more than just your app doing something here, right? And Apple uses some mechanisms to help you understand, you know, how likely is it that, that this is an unaltered version of your app? So somebody hasn't like cracked it, let's say. Um, as the article here notes, it's it's a little bit different than figuring out, you know, is the device jailbroken and et cetera. Like it's, it's more about adding extra data points and then some extra guarantees, but is not uh, not a silver bullet, 100% proof sort of thing. But it essentially works where if you have sensitive data that you want to send to your server, you can um, generate an insertion there using, your again, your key identifier, which will tell the iOS device to grab the, uh, the private key, sign the data that you've given it, and then you can send that along to your backend, and your backend can use your public key that had been shared before to figure out, you know, does this look like it came from a legitimate app, or has somebody done a, a man-in-the-middle attack, or is somebody, um, you know, trying to uh, replay from a cracked iOS app and, and trying to, you know, do nasty things to, uh, to your your data over your API? Cool. Yeah. 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 It, it looks it looks kind of neat. I am very curious to see what the the weak points are of this. Um, looks like one thing is that there is a you know is if uh, Uh, is supported for your uh, DC app attest service. Um, and it looks as though all iOS devices support that, but, uh, there are some MacBooks that don't have the necessary chip. Um, I'm unclear if it's like T2 chip related for, for MacBooks. So it's not going to be uh, an across the board sort of, uh, mechanism there. So it does say in
2: the article that, um, Gu- 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 Rambo did a, a test that apparently it's available on, on all iOS devices, but, um, but it's an iOS 14 thing though, right?
4: Like this, this framework. I believe it like, is. is it? Yes. I, I didn't yeah. See anything, so it's going to be, it be backwards available.
2: So I'm going to say it's iPhone 6 Plus and, and newer, right? So not every iOS device, right?
4: <laughs> yeah, I think I, I didn't really dig into the the details of the tweet. Um, uh, I think there was the the mechanism that was being talked about there, and and presumably, even the way it's going to be storing these keys, you're going to end up having the secure element in there, which is not truly every iOS device, but I mean it's been there for such a long time on iOS that, uh, the, that part of the encryption story is there. Um, yeah. It's, it's neat. It, it actually reminds me a whole lot of something that, uh, that OAuth has for authentication, where again, when you have something like a mobile client that you can't really guarantee, you know, who it is and you can't guarantee that somebody isn't intercepting data. Uh, there is a technique out there called, uh, proof key for code, is it proof key for code exchange P K, P.K.C.E. Pixie that does a similar kind of thing. So if you look way down in the I think it's the final code sample where he's taking this this data and saying, like, cool, um, I'm going to go ahead and and have this data here. And then we're going to go ahead and exchange information there. And then on the other side, you can do some crypto math to figure out, you know, did this come from somebody that's valid or at the very least has it been tampered with a very similar thing of where P.K.C.E. has a, a similar concept of okay so when i begin this process i'm going to give you an encrypted um an encrypted string. And then at the very tail end of the process, uh, basically when we're like committing to what we're doing here, I'm going to give you the unencrypted version of the string. And since I told you how I encrypted it, you can verify that, oh, this must have legitimately come from you because nobody else would be able to create that same um, encrypted form of the original string. If that makes sense. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. So we are just talking about, I'm not sure where this is going to fit in the show, but we were just talking about, I, at 360, I they just did a panel um, on, you know, just sort of got to sort of a roundtable discussion, fireside discussion between a number of developers. Um, and they got onto the topic of um, Epic and versus Apple. And we've got a number of links here related to this story. So why don't you lead us into the discussion there, Jaime?
4: Yeah, things have escalated quite dramatically since I put this link in the show notes. So this one came from a friend of the show, Bevan Anderson, uh, from the very well-named friend of the show. Slack channel we have uh, for MTJC, and uh, the original one was that um, Apple had removed Epic's Fortnite app from the App Store for uh, violating, um, you know, developer policies. They basically said, "Hey, if you if you buy, I don't know, I'm I, I'm not that familiar. Let's say if you buy, you know, Fortnite tokens directly from us, it's 20 percent cheaper than if you buy it through the in-app purchase process that Apple has. Obviously, that violates guidelines. Apple said, "Nope, you're removed from the." Store store um google did similar for uh, for google play because uh, epic did the same thing over in the play store um epic ended up coming out with this uh this rather nifty uh the tip of my hat because you know games got a recognized game uh, they had the spoof of apple's classic 1984 super bowl ad uh using uh apple as as the big bad uh big brother and using 3D models from Fortnite's ad, and you know, the idea being that like Epic and Fortnite are are fighting for your freedoms. Uh, lawsuits were filed from from Epic, um, against Apple and Google, I want to say. And then Apple, as of this recording, said, Oh, by the way, um, Epic, we are going to remove your developer account on a certain date. And I forget the date, it's like the end right. of the month. Yeah. So it has filed way, way, way out of control. Um, and there are, are some interesting uh, things that are ending up in the in the crossfire, and that uh, Epic is saying that it will lose access to Apple Developer Tools following uh, this lawsuit. I'm, I'm a little unclear on on the tools that they lose access to, but it's important to note that Epic also uh, owns and develops the Unreal Engine, which is a, a 3D right. engine used for like tons of games out there. Um, and uh, my understanding is that Epic's Unreal Engine. Has a IDE of some sort. So if you're a developer wanting to use their their engine, you can download their their IDE software. Well, the problem, as I understand, is like uh, that's a Mac app and that's tied to their developer account. So it seems like that will go kaboom uh, very quickly as when their uh, when their developer account gets removed. So it's it's a huge mess. I don't even know if I even covered all of the nuance there, but that's sort of the big main points that have come out.
2: Yeah, there's a couple of couple things I can add. But first of all, I want to ask. Mark, what's your favorite thing in the world?
3: The third-party libraries.
2: Yeah, third-party libraries. Um, yeah, so yeah, you're right. They were called V Bucks, apparently. The, the the money or the currency, and it wasn't it wasn't that they were offering a 20 percent discount if you bought them outside of the app store. What it was, apparently, that they infringed on is is in Apple's ecosystem. You're only supposed to sell things through in-app purchases. If you have a link to an external um, selling place, that's where the problem is. And because uh, Arian McKelly, who runs App Figure were saying even he had problems with that back in the day when he had a link just a link back to his his homepage was apparently in violation because he sells things on his home page right um so that's where the that's where the this started um like you said yeah it was 8.99 for V-bucks uh but of course Apple takes 30% cut and uh so Epic started this by offering a 20% discount if you went over to their website and and, and bought the bucks right um yeah it, it's it's a pretty messy thing and and one of the other points that uh, um Ariel, Ariel McKelly says in his uh, his uh um, a newsletter is that uh, that this is costing Epic twenty five thousand dollars every hour the game isn't in the U S store. So that's basically four and a half million dollars a week. So now it, it got into a huge heated debate on on the uh, on the, the fireside chat I watched today. I you know, kind of had to tune it out after a while. But but the, the I think the consensus consensus is that you know for developers this is two big companies arguing right. Um, what we're going to get out of it is probably not very much. You know, like uh, Apple's probably not going to change their, their terms because if they change their terms for one company, then they have then that sort of, you know, breaks, you know, the rules for everybody else. Although I think they've probably done deals with, you know, HBO and, and all that kind of stuff and, on the sides. But um, as far as this, this 30%, um, uh, yeah, it's it's a tough thing to sort of argue, and I, but I don't think that's what the argument's about or the argument's about, you know, uh, how they access this stuff. But, yeah, I think losing, losing the Unreal Engine, I, I didn't really think about it. I didn't understand the nuance of that. You probably explain it better than I knew, Jaime. That sounds uh, sounds like quite a quite a problem for a lot of developers if if uh, if ha- that happens, right? So
4: yeah, I'm not sure of the blast radius because it's it's not my impression that there's a ton of development on the macOS platform or Unreal Engine related games. I think folks are probably out in the industry using Windows to work with Unreal Engine. I could be wrong. Oh okay. Hashtag #AskMTJC if I'm way out there. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not going to impact all developers you know or or maybe even not even the majority um but i don't think it's it's a trivial number either right um and and the impact there is is interesting and a lot of this both sides right so both apple and fortnite are are using very uh sort of high and mighty language uh accusing each other um of nefarious things and and you know clothing themselves in uh, goodness and apple pie um but but really, when I look at it from an outsider's perspective, this is two gigantic companies squabbling over how much money each of them is is due to get, right? And they're due to get that money from from folks like you and I and, and listeners to this show. So it's really hard to uh, to sort of throw my hat into the ring to say like, all right, I'm totally supporting you know one one particular side over the other. I, th- I think it's more nuanced um, than a lot of people are giving it credit. Um, but it is very. Very interesting to me that uh, that Epic has um, you know it's one thing for them to to sort of casually run afoul of of App Store guidelines. It's another for them to very clearly tactically say, yeah, this is this is this is a business decision we are making. We're going to bring in uh, political you know government uh, scrutiny on this. And oh by the way, um, we're not the ones threatening to uh, you know to jump off the bridge. We've also <laughs> lassoed a whole school bus of children and we're going to bring them with us too right (laughs) to to up the ante it's it's very strange to see that 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 they're they're doing this
3: i'm not sure that that that's going to last long enough for developers who outside of epic to be affected that much by this but i could be wrong but personally I, i think they overplayed their hand here they made a pretty big tactical blunder uh i'm not sure they expected google to also kick them off the app store i could be wrong there uh so i think they thought it was going to be Epic versus Apple. And I thought that they thought... I think they thought there was going to be this popular uprising against Apple, which hasn't really happened. And the fact that Google sided with Apple uh, and the fact that Epic is acting kind of immature in this whole thing. I mean, they're they're making a spectacle out of the whole thing. So Apple can't back down now. There's no way that Apple can, can give in and save face. Uh, and now Google won't either. There's no reason for Google to. Uh, so it's all... It's all about Epic losing lots of money now until they can't anymore and will have to give in. Uh, I, I think they, they just screwed up and, you know, they, they thought they were bigger than they are. I mean, they're pretty big, obviously, but, but you know, you can't take on Apple and Google and be jerks about it and expect to walk away <laughs> unscathed.
4: Yeah, yeah. And, and somebody, and I apologize, I can't remember who it was, so I can't give the attribution, um, but I saw that somebody pointed out that Epic is one of the few kinds of companies that could make this sort of business decision in that they're large enough to make somebody like Apple and Google care and not just say, oh, you don't like it? Cool. Your your developer account's deleted now. Not you know a few weeks from now so we can negotiate. It's like, you're done, mm-hmm. right? We don't care. Yep. We'll just run you over. Um, large enough for, for Apple and Google to care. Um, and also, my understanding is they're a privately owned company. So there's no shareholder um, from the you know public shareholder standpoint. There aren't shareholders. They're going to be like, dude, what are you doing? Just give them their damn money, like we're losing money we hand over fist right now, you know that you have a little bit more leeway as a privately owned company, so um uh, you know if it was like you know Netflix. Uh, going to battle. And it's like, well, okay, but, you know, if the third quarter results don't look that good, the shareholders are going to start voting out your, uh, voting out your CEO, your your board and saying like, all right, you're done. We need somebody in there who can go negotiate with Apple and just get a slightly better deal, but let's not lose all this money here in the meantime, right? This is, um, it's one that I'm interested in, in watching because um, it seems like Epic's point of view is heavily weakened uh, given that Google uh, ended up you know, kicking them off the store too, because you know a common thing that I've seen people talking about this case is like, oh, well, maybe this will you know have government intervention to force Apple to allow sideloading, right? Doesn't that solve the problems? Like, well, it actually doesn't because Epic made um, Fortnite available outside of Google Play because you can sideload an Android, and they decided, oh, that's not working well enough. There's very clearly value to being in Google Play, uh, so it kind of weakens their positioned like oh well there's no alternatives like no there was an alternative you just decided it wasn't good enough <laughs> right um and and the payment mechanisms one i think is the one that's kind of interesting too because it's you i don't think you're going to have everybody who's involved in this kind of you know philosophical discussion really agree on on any percentage that apple uh, or google would get from uh, app store stuff that wouldn't inevitably trend towards uh, like a race to the bottom in terms of a number and then at some point you kind of end up with well is it really the fundamental question is should you be required to use a particular payment mechanism and therefore hand over some value to somebody, right? Because I think a lot of people, I don't think it's very controversial in the Apple developer community to say, you know what, 30% kind of high, right? There are some people who think it's like incredibly outrageous, and there are some who are like, "Ah, that's not that great." And there's some are like, "Yeah, I can think of this like mid-tier company that's, you know, hurt by this 30%." Um, but even if you moved it down to to 15, sure, more people would be like, "Oh yeah, that's a better number, a uh, better number." than. 30. And some people would still be saying that's still outrageous. Like, my gosh, you know, if, if you were paying that percentage, um, you know, as a merchant for credit cards, you'd be going out of business immediately. All right, well, let's bring it to 5%. Okay. It's still higher than credit cards. What if it was two? What if it was one? At, at what point does it end up being uh, low enough? And if it was only, you know, uh, fractions, of a fractions of a fraction of a penny, but you were still required to use that payment mechanism, is that... Still a problem, and I think that's really what we're getting down to: is you know solving the 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 legal and philosophical questions of like should platforms like iOS, like Android uh, or Google Play, more specifically, should they be um, you know these uh, two trillion dollar market cap companies, right? Like Apple is is in in such a, a, a rare company. Should they be able to impose uh, such a, a a broad amount of power? And 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 I think that's what makes this difficult to to tease apart and for folks to, to sort of fully analyze because there's a lot of technical detail that goes into this but I also feel like there's a lot of emotion tied into philosophical differences that we kind of see both uh, Apple and epic sort of uh, yelling past each other on this
2: yeah for sure all right well let's move on um, <laughs> so I was talking last week about uh, scribble and I found a nice little video here talks about some of the other features that I didn't know about because uh, I just sort of took it for a quick test drive myself but I um, uh- Uh, the video here from um, Apple Insider talks about uh, the fact you can actually erase text so once you create it you can scribble over top of the text you can um, with the pencil I didn't realize this but you can double tap on it to switch between writing and erasing kind of thing and you can go into preferences and set that and when you're on the iPad with iOS 14 you can click on a little uh, icon in the corner which will open the keyboard uh, for you and then you can you can go in and and, uh, adjust the settings for the pencil so that's uh, kind of interesting um, thing on Scribble so check that video out if you want a little more detail than what I had said last week. And uh, I I title this one Sigh because um, this is a quick article that I don't know if you guys saw this or read this last week but apparently the Secret Service has paid a company for a whole bunch of user data um, that they bought from a company called LocateX uh, which had been harvesting uh, location data from people over the years on various devices and uh, now, apparently, the Secret Service of the United States of America now owns that data. So more fun more fun for all of us, I guess, right?
4: It's a big reason why on this show, I've talked about viewing data as a liability from a developer standpoint, that, you know, the, if you don't even have the data, then it, it can't be used for, for unintended purposes, which I think I, I don't think it's too political to say, like, you know, government agency, uh, law enforcement agency having access to this kind of data is probably an unintended consequence of that data existing right and we've talked about um you know online stalwarts like facebook and google guess what they spend tons of bucks buying um you know credit card point of sales data or you know the pieces if you just say like, oh i like never use facebook i never use google i'm never online period right okay cool well you pro- unless you're paying with cash uh, they probably have your credit card and debit card purchases sorted out as well right because they they buy access to that sort of thing um I wouldn't be surprised if if some companies that are doing analytics out there are probably buying uh, consumer debt data, right? Like the, um, you know, send you over to the debt collectors sort of data. I mean, that's tons of valuable data that you could mine for, for information about a particular uh, class of, of people. And um, I know I've made this statement on the show before, but, uh, you know, it wasn't too long ago. People were saying like data is the new oil they were, I think looking at it a little bit too, uh, too naively, in my opinion, where they were thinking of like, oh, it's like standard oil back when, you know, that monopoly was starting its way. like, this is this thing that's going to make us rich and it's just manna from heaven. It's like, well, yeah, but the other half of, in my opinion, data is the new oil is that oil is dangerous to deal with. And you have tons of regulation to make sure that it doesn't get, you know, spilled and create environmental problems. And I think we're seeing the industry sort of come to grips with that sort of thing with data that we've gone a very long time without having the regulations. And there are unintended consequences for that so you end up seeing things like europe's uh, gdpr the general data privacy regulations data protection regulations Mm -hmm. um and i I would not be shocked to see similar things uh, across the world in the coming decades
2: yeah all right well as one hand taketh the other hand giveth away um so apple is now i guess based on you know the current circumstance of where we all are uh, they're now extending their out their time period behind when you can buy apple care plus for your devices uh previously you had basically 60 days to make a decision after buying a new piece of gear whether you were going to buy apple care for it but now apple is giving persons the entire year to decide of course they um you know a technician from apple will, di- will dial into your device to see if in fact it is running correctly do some tests on it but yeah you can you can now get uh apple care uh up to one year after you purchase your first device or your device that's good news and um yeah, I don't know if you guys saw it today, but uh, Xcode 12.5 uh, came out today, and Core Data is back in Swift SwiftUI. Uh, the, the, the template. This is a tweet from Paul Hudson um, that uh, basically the and I've tried it out. I downloaded it and ran it just just before the show here. Um, sure enough, the Core Data template is back. Previously, you had to you had to sort of use UIKit and go away Siri. <laughs> uh, Previous. Did I say Siri? I don't think I did. I really. don't think I
4: heard um, that. Um, but yeah. yeah. But those things. Yeah it's to stuff, stuff that you might have slightly said, slurred something you know? and i knew what you were talking about yeah. but it was like oh you want me to do something right okay cool yeah,
2: yeah. So anyway, um, what was I saying? Yeah, so I tried to template out uh, that you, I think you had to use. You had to uh, somehow load up the app delegate or something like that. I, I did a de- I did a, uh, a test of it a um, couple of months ago or last month. I made a Core Data thing to use with SwiftUI, but yeah, now you can do SwiftUI native with Core Data right out of the box. You basically get the same master. Sorry, <laughs> can't say master anymore, can I? Um, what was the word we were going to go with? Oh,
4: main for branches. Main. Oh,
2: primary. Yeah, primary. You have the primary view and, and the detailed view. Uh, that uh, you know, you, you have your, your table view or list view, I guess, uh, on the, the screen, and uh, it creates a timestamp for you and that kind of thing. And you can you can drive drill that into a, a detail view if you need as well. But uh, yeah, that's cool. I'm glad to see Courted is back. Maybe I'll maybe I'll rewrite uh, Device Tracker and in Core in SwiftUI now. <laughs> so solve all my problems, right?
4: Yeah, I mean, look at anyway, so I'm looking it. at this uh, this screenshot that Mr. Paul Hudson has here, and you know, there's a, a they, they practically build the app for you now on the template, right? It's like name, yeah. team, you know, org and bundle identifiers. All right, that's the same. Interface, SwiftUI, lifecycle, Swift yeah. UI app, language, Swift. Use core data, yes. Hosting CloudKit, sure, why not? And of course, include tests. I mean, it's like the next checkbox is like, be a successful app. I was like, oh, <laughs> you can do that for me? Sure, I'll check that box. <laughs> Pro tip.
2: Yeah, yeah. I didn't try to CloudKit out, though. I I'm, you know, always leery of doing that. But yeah, that's cool. All right, let's move on. What's
4: next? Yeah, I'm calling this clairvoyant follow-up because uh you know i just like being cheeky like that so this is vaguely follow-up to the thing you were just talking about with um government entities getting involved with uh, technology companies and there's a story here uh i chose this article from the verge um who is the actual source i'm not sure how to, to click through um but there's a story here uh, about how part of the U.S. government worked with a very small part of Apple to build a top secret iPod that they believe was intended to be um, a hidden Geiger counter, uh, but still a, a fully functional iPod, you know, for uh, for subterfuge, for you know, camouflage. Oh, really? Yeah. Like a James Bond device? You mean? Yeah, it's kind of kind of interesting in a in a James Bond uh gadget sort of way wow yeah i thought that was a a, an interesting sort of topic i don't know Mm -hmm. um I don't know if it was for realsies and was it effective? Was it actually a Geiger counter? I mean, there's sort of limited things you could do with, uh, with those kind of devices before, um, things start sticking out and, and become no- more noticeable. But maybe it was a simpler time. Maybe it was less on the radar, no pun intended of, uh, of folks that are doing counterintelligence. I don't know. <laughs> if you know, just tell them hashtag ask DJC and, <laughs> and spill your, your state level secrets. Wow.
2: Okay. All right. What else have you got from us, from Bevan Anderson? I mean,
4: yeah, another, another link from the, uh, from the friend of the show channel. And thank you, uh, Bevan Anderson. So. Uh, this is from macrumors.com. Oh, they're sorry. They're re-reporting Bloomberg's Mark Gurman stating that uh, Apple is supposedly going to launch a new range of subscription service bundles called Apple One. Um, various levels of subscription tier where you could have different packages of the services that Apple provides. So uh, as claimed here, uh, a basic one will have Apple Music and Apple TV Plus. Uh, a different variation will add Apple Arcade on top. Uh, another tier could add Apple News Plus. And then weirdly um the more expensive bundle featuring icloud storage which i I want to talk about that uh but apparently it's not going to as they claim here it's not expected to include apple care support so i know we've talked about this roughly before of like you know how much would you pay for uh, per month to get you know this sort of mega bundle of, of subscription stuff from apple um Thoughts, comments on the on this rumor. As we should note, this is this is claimed to launch in October. Um, your mileage may vary. We'll, we'll see what happens in the fall.
2: Well, this is I think this is technically follow up because we did we did postulate the concept of of bundling sur- subscription services together, right? Yeah.
3: Uh, Back when and, I think um, TV Plus was coming out, we talked about that about them bundling music and TV Plus and stuff like that for instead of yeah. you know instead of what was it? Yeah, five thousand cuts a month. You get yeah. both for eight bucks a month or something.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, my favorite thing is. is all the different subscriptions you end up having and next thing you know you go look at your wallet and flies just come out of it right um you know those for those of you who remember carrying around money and whatever I, I don't know about you guys but have you used any money in the last three months
3: i have not used cash since the beginning of the pandemic
2: yeah i've got i've got 40 bucks in my pocket and those yeah. 220s are still sitting there
3: yeah yeah it's anyway kind of weird. and it took yeah. all the
2: change out too huh Yeah, it's kind of weird and I think, I think I heard somewhere that, that people aren't accepting change anymore because apparently just, there right is, yeah,
3: there is a change shortage in the US right
2: now. Oh, right. Yeah, so yeah.
3: Nobody's using it. Yeah. So stores don't have enough change. Kind of bizarre.
2: Yeah. But coming back to this. So you know, I, I'm glad to see, I, I would like to see it if they do do it in this way that there's nothing I hate more than like, I wouldn't use the news app that often. Right. So nothing I would hate more than, than, you know, getting a deal on Apple TV and music, but you know, getting this carry along service that I don't really want want, Right, so um, I would like to be able to mix and match my subscriptions. Right, so it's like cable TV right now. We have cable TV here in our house, and and there's got to be like you know 30 TV channels we don't even watch. Right, so
3: yeah, I got like 200 channels I don't watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you know, Carol's
2: got her handful of shows that she channels that she watches, and I've got a handful that I watch, and then, then there's the rest. And like like we don't watch sports, like you guys do, right? So all those sports channels are wasted on us, right? But they come as part of the package. Yeah, and you know, they, they they regulated it. Just as a side note here, they regulated the the whole cable package thing here in Canada, and so you could pick and choose, like like you know, à la carte what you wanted, and uh, it all ended up being like you no know, better <laughs> in terms of what, once you picked all the shows you wanted to watch, you might as well just bundle the whole thing and just pay for the bundle, right? So
4: yeah, there there is fun. a an aspect of this that is kind of similar to um, I'm going to go with fast food, right? So so use McDonald's because it's what's that is that like the stuff they sell in restaurants I, I remember restaurants <laughs> it's the it's the you know the location that um you know the the uber driver or the doordash or grubhub person goes to in order to pick up the food
2: oh those places yeah it's
4: extra. like a kitchen but it, it has more capacity for things in the future right so they they really thought about expansion in the future you know maybe they could actually have people there instead of just shipping things directly out um but in in fast food setups you'll notice like you know a traditional combo like a like a burger with fries in a drink is a price that is definitely higher than let's say just the the star of the show the burger the sandwich um but is yet cheaper than if you bought each of the individual components separately and sometimes people will wonder like oh well why did they do that so if i if i bought all three of these separately it'd be i don't know it's made up a price like nine dollars but if i bought this as a combo, it's $7.49. Like, that doesn't make sense. It's like, well, because if you bought just the sandwich, you'd be paying, you know, five, six bucks. And then you say, well, for $1.50 more, I could have a whole meal, right? i could have fries and a drink. So rather than getting that smaller value out of you for just the one component you bought, uh, they get an overall, uh, you know, average selling price that's higher by convincing you to buy the bundled deal. And I fully think that that's probably Probably what Apple is doing here. It just makes good sense, right? There are people like me who, um, I do pay for a tiny amount of, of, iCloud storage. I am an Apple music subscriber. I am a, um, I am a parasite subscriber to Apple TV plus because I got it for free with my, my MacBook that I bought. And I'm definitely going to stop subscribing when that free year is up, but it makes sense, right? Like I, I probably wouldn't be in the market for Apple, uh, news plus because because that's that's just not me. I'm I'm part of the problem, right? I'm destroying democracy and and quality journalism by refusing to pay for it. I fully into cognizant of that. Um, but if it was included for you know a slightly higher price than if I just paid for Apple Music, um, but not so much that it's as if I bought you know all three services n- individually, I'm like, yeah, you probably could find a price range that would convince me. Uh, the one that's sort of weird to me is is this article's uh, recap and statement that like eight. A- more expensive bundle. It seems like the, the most expensive bundle includes iCloud storage. I'm like, but why? Isn't that like the cheapest thing they could possibly give you? Like they have to pay royalties for, for music. They had to pay some sort of revenue sharing or royalties for News Plus. TV Plus costs a tons of, of capital and possibly even royalties to, to get the content. iCloud is like, hey, I put a, a server out there in the desert and cooled it. Great. We're done. Right? Like what is, what what is what's the deal with that one. Like, that's the one that I would think would be on the lowest tier to try to convince you of, like, hey, we threw in, you know, 50 gigs of iCloud storage on top of your Apple Music Plus sort of subscription
2: okay so uh what's next Tommy? i'm dying to see this one actually this this sounds like the kind of coding i do when i I work (laughs) i spend like a week and i end up having like one line of code changed
4: yeah this is the the very well named blog post you've only added two lines why did that take two days exclamation point by matt Lacey, um and he talks about how there's uh you know some some thoughts behind those sorts of statements of like you know lines of code equals effort uh lines of code is value or that all lines of code are equal and he posits a world where that's not true and and this sort of jumped out at me because i have had those sort of irrationally um self demotivating days where i'm like wow i spent the entire day debugging this problem and it was like a semicolon or it was uh you know one line of code that was in the wrong place or maybe it was two lines of code that i had to add and it just feels like wow i it, it kind of looks like it did nothing things like oh lopez you spend all day on this where's the pull request for code reviews like, here you go it's two lines <laughs> see this diff <laughs> it fits in a tweet right and um psychologically you feel bad but i think that uh, that matt Lacey here did a really good job of, sort of breaking down like well why did a fix that appears to be you know on the surface very simple and straightforward from the, the changes it took to do why did it take two days and he's like well here i'll break down the you know it's ish or so sort of headlines like, well, because the issue was reported with a vague description of how to recreate it, or the reported issue was related to functionality I'm not familiar with, or because I took the time to investigate the real cause of the issue and I didn't just look at the symptoms. I investigated if there are other ways of getting to the same problem, not just the reported reproduction steps, or I took the time to verify there are other parts of the code that might be affected in similar ways, or I found the cause of the issue, I looked to find the simplest way of fixing it that would have like the smallest impact or the smallest risk of side effects and rounding things out is I tested the change thoroughly and verified it addressed the problem for all the different code paths that were affected. And these are all the sort of different reasons, not necessarily all inclusive, but these are many of the reasons why it might have taken you, you know, two days and you might have had, you know, a couple different standards of like, you know, still working on this, still working on this. Oh, look, it was two lines of code, right? I think people sort of assume like, well, if you spent two days on it, there must be hundreds of lines of code that you changed, right? It's like, well, no, it turns out it was a rather sort of straightforward implementation, but the the knowledge of how to get there is why it took that amount of time. Have you guys had this sort of experience in your career? Many, many times. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, certainly one that, that can hit teams a lot you is, um, this is functionality I'm not familiar with. You know, could be you're you're new to the team. It could be um, the person who normally does that, um, you know, that feature or that, you know, set of screens, that part of the architecture. Like, they're not here. Bob is on vacation. Sally is out sick, right? Like, there's, there's definitely pieces where I've had to sort of, you know, jump in to help triage and debug. I'm like, I barely even know how this feature works. <laughs> Let me see if I can figure out, reverse engineer what's going on here.
3: Yeah, there are... T- there are times when I've had to comprehend uh, giant massive blocks of code, you know, many, many, many classes, many, many, you know, many, many uh, files. Uh, basically, so you could just find the, the five lines that you need to change to, think, to, f- to, to fix the problem. But you have to learn the code base. You have to figure out where those five lines are and what it's supposed to do. So yeah, it happens all the time.
4: I think one that, that has happened to people is a vague description of how to recreate it. Mm, yeah. I launched the app in it didn't work is like well yeah hold on so
3: it, it doesn't it, work did it fail to install
4: <laughs> yeah. did it fail to to even start like you what have oh no well i'm like five screens in and then i press this button and it didn't do anything oh okay and then it
3: didn't work yeah
4: <laughs> i was like all right well that's <laughs> right that's a less critical problem and then than it, it, broke. it seems. but yep. now i have a better idea of how to get to fix the button not working <laughs> right mm-hmm. um yeah. yeah i think the the real cause of the issue is one that Uh, that's a real trap that I've seen developers get into um, where you're like, oh, you know, these things aren't loading properly. That's fine. Just throw an async dispatch in there (laughs) and then just call it good, right? Dispatch after, you know, one second or something. And it it seems to solve that. All right. I mean, you've made it a little bit better, but you didn't really get to the root of the problem. What is the root of the problem here? Um, Also the, uh, you know, are there other areas of the code that are impacted by this? And I think there's a different way of Thinking about it than just like oh, oh you know this feature is used in more than one place maybe there's some preconditions that are not set here. Uh, I'd also encourage folks to think about like wait um do we have this pattern used in more than one place um possibly from from a copy and paste sort of example it's like oh so if they had a bug you know on the edit screen for this flow I wonder if they have a bug in a very similar edit screen in a different flow and you know probably fifty percent of the time I look into this I'm like oh yes. <laughs> Nobody found this one, but guess what? I'm, I'm going to fix this one too. I'm going to show that I can cause the same behavior to happen in a completely unrelated part of the app. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and fix that. So instead of one line of code, I've now committed two lines of code <laughs> for the two different flows and then maybe filed a ticket to say, we really need to have like one way of doing this instead of, um, you know, having two ways that then can both go wrong and uh, uh, not be corrected in the, in the same time.
2: Julio. All right. Well, like I guess at it depicts part of our show? Um, in um, sort of attending 360 ID for the oh last yeah, I saw days. a couple of yeah.
3: notes on that. How was it? yeah,
2: it was okay. It was good. I mean, I didn't like. I didn't plan on going because I'd forgotten that. Um, I think that uh, like I, they had a call for John had a, put out a call early saying you know with the whole shutdown and he didn't know how he was going to like even make a living this year so he was looking for you know help, financial help right so I don't know I threw. Bucks Adam and I think Hami might have done too as well because we both got um, like a ticket through uh, the Tito system right so anyway I just I was just poking around I, I for some reason I was on the Slack channel I don't remember getting invited but I think some people invited me because they do the karaoke thing as well so um, I got it added to the list and so then when the first day came around I just I thought Tammy was speaking on Monday so I tried to log in and fair enough I saw there was a ticket waiting for me so I just signed in and started watching some of the con- some of the content that so was pretty good you know like, uh, there's some like a lot of sort of Tammy's talk was more sort of inspirational type talk, and then there were some technical ones. And but unfortunately, I was in meetings in and out of meetings at the same time, so I really couldn't focus 100% on everything, right? Mm, yeah, so yeah, like even this morning when I went to went to I told everybody I was gonna, you know, sit it out for at 11.30 30, watch Tammy's talk. And of course, I was in a meeting at 11 o'clock that ran into like 11.30 right? Of course, so, yeah, just the way it is, right? Yep. So and uh, Jaime came over, um, he sort of joined in because a friend of his. His, his co-worker was uh, doing a talk yesterday so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so he uh he, he signed up and joined y- yes yesterday as well and I watched Joe's yesterday. Joe's was pretty inspiring. So the way they did it, Mark, was very similar to WWC. They they had people on live and then they cut to like a pre-recorded talk. Mm. So there was only one person who tried to do it. Oh, sorry, a couple of people who did it live. Um, one was Jay Freeman, of course. And because nobody else could figure like, you know, everybody else was sort of like on their Slack channel, just chatting with people during their talk. Right. And uh, but Jay Freeman, uh, he figured out how to do, how to actually have people asking questions like live. Right. So
3: Did he hack Zoom and, or something,
2: uh, something like that. But John, <laughs> John just said, of course, you know, and he said it in Slack. He says, of course, you know, Jay Freeman figures out how to have an audience in a virtual conference, right? Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I, I only caught part of his talk as well because I was again in and out of meetings too. So the thing about it is, is, at least we know that uh, in a week or so, the the videos will be available. And, then, and John said, and at the end of the month, he'll uh, he'll make them available to everybody else, right? So. It was, it was actually, you know, surprisingly well done. I think with tools like Slack and Zoom, um, it went pretty well. Like we we did, um, we were joking, like you know, kept saying, "What's for breakfast?" and "Hey, I didn't get my lunch ticket and stuff like that." Right in the, in the Slack. And then um, we were joking around last night or after the after the talks yesterday, saying, you know, we should we should all just go for a beer or whatever. And and uh, I, I just sort of said, "Hey, we should jump on Zoom and have a beer together," right? And so next thing I know, I'm invited to a Zoom call, and there's like nine of us on the call and Tammy came along for a bit and you know, we all had a raise the glass and just like you do at a conference where, you, you know, you sort of take off to like a restaurant afterwards and talk about what you saw, talk about what you're doing and that kind of stuff. So it was, it was that part felt very similar to like, you know, the sort of networking piece that's missing from this kind of uh, event, right? So, yeah. And then we, I just came out of uh, karaoke, so my, my voice might be a little cracky. So,
4: lots of fun. What do you think of it, honey? I didn't see very much of it. So, yeah, I I only attended the the three sessions. So, Vui wins. Mm-hmm. Joe Chablinski's and Tammy Caron's. Um So I didn't see anything else in the conference. It just you know, didn't work out timing wise for me. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's okay. At least from what I did see, I thought it was pretty neat. And actually it seems kind of like a, a virtual conference best practice that if you're, if you're going to have a more traditional timeline for your conference where, you know, it's over these two to well, let's say an entire day to like four days, right? Like a conference in the real world um, physical world would do. I think it's a pretty good practice to have people record their sessions beforehand so that um, they can have the the presentation playing and yet they can be answering questions and answers uh, doing Q&A sessions during the session. If Somebody's like, oh, that's kind of interesting on slide five. It's like, well, instead of interrupting the the speaker or them being interrupted even just visually by seeing that the chat is lighting up, they can answer it there. And I also think that this ends up with the same sort of, uh, you know, safety net that like, you know, internet can go wrong and, and live demos and presentations are kind of like a, a form of live demo. Things can go wrong. So if, you know, a host uh, ends up with the inability to to connect to the internet, all right, well, no problem. Somebody else can continue on with the video and you're not totally host. which I have seen with some, you know, trying to do it live. Uh, it sort of feels like going out there without a, you know, without a safety net. And I also think that um, it's a little bit easier to um, to have things be sort of pre-digested. It. It, it is challenging to try to present remotely. And I think doing it live just adds so much more extra pressure that I think it's actually a little bit better for folks to, um, you know, take the time to to pre-record these. It, of course, it takes some different amount of skill, right? You have to learn how to like composite some things together rather than being able to assemble slides and then just sort of speak to your script or wing it if you like to. Um, the The downside I can see is that people are definitely a little different when they pre-record, right? Um, I definitely think uh, pre-recorded Tammy is a different Tammy, as I uh, said. It's like yeah, she said she, was, she
2: felt different too, yeah. yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. I'm more used to Tammy kind of, you know, going out there with like a wing and a prayer, as she likes to to live on the on the on the edge sort of thing. And so having something that's uh, pre-planned out and and pre-canned is a is a little bit of a different thing. And, and that's maybe just a me thing because I happen to know Tammy personally, and I don't know that that would necessarily come across as uh, as. Being a difference if you didn't know uh, that person so that's that's something i'm kind of interested in um i think again the pre-recording is great i think having things uh as a handful of days uh, a little bit harder like i said i, I hardly attended any of it because it didn't uh match up with my schedule so i have seen other conferences try to do things like all right well you know for this month the month of august is our conference where uh, tuesdays and thursdays we have one one session that can work too right i, I don't know that there's going to be one true way of doing it um And and maybe with virtual conferences, it doesn't matter as much to have one particular style versus another because you don't have the physical constraints of like, oh, cool, we're having WWDC, it's all this month, just fly here to San Francisco, sorry, fly here to San Jose. For this one-hour session, go home, <laughs> fly back two days later. Like, that wouldn't work, right? So you sort of naturally had to have one chunk of time for people to travel to and from. And I'm, I'm definitely curious to see how people end up playing with different sort of conference formats. 360C. Uh, well, it was interesting because
2: there, there were people from around the world. I, I noticed on, on some of it. Like, I mean, basically, it's been four days of people chatting on on uh, on Slack. There's a bunch of channels there, right? And um, I, I also should say, I didn't realize that the, each speaker had... Uh, Channel for each uh, each thing because mind you I wasn't there for the very keynote so I didn't get the sort of lay of the land but and it was it was sort of glued together because John did come on and and um, his uh, partners in crime Tom and and Judy Chen I think they they acted as hosts you know so so they would they would come in they would they would introduce the speaker they would cut to the to the canned piece and then they would chat afterwards for five minutes or so and and they would take live questions from the Slack channels right um, so that was good I mean like I got. To ask, like uh, Josh Michaels was talking today about uh, his—he's sort of a Mac developer, right? And and one of the things he he did he mentioned it, it was uh, set app, and of course, you know, I don't know any developers that, that are on set apps except for him. So I asked him about it. And of course, he only just started on set today, as a matter of fact. But now um, yeah, I just wanted to ask him what he thought about the the model, and he sort of said it was good because you know um, that uh, it's it's kind of like the 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 island of misfit toys as far as Apple's concerned there the apps that don't that, that you know for whatever reasons they don't fit into apple's you know mac store model um but this this setup lets them have you know get, let let you put these apps in because you know we can still we've always we've always been able to sideload apps into into our macs and and this setup kind of uh, gives people a you know revenue stream in a way they get their apps distributed as well right so that was good but um yeah I, it was good i mean the, the one thing like like people did complain that when during jay's talk because his video and his audio got out of sync. So even though he was presenting live, people were commenting on the Slack that they were frustrated because it was, you know, laggy. Um, there was one, one guy who was, uh, I think he was seven hours ahead of us. He's over, I guess, in England or something like that. Or somebody came from an island in, in um, the Mediterranean somewhere too, they were saying they were connecting from. And there, you know, so obviously your internet speeds are going to be the factors and that kind of stuff. But the fact that you could have, you know, an international audience, um, it's surprising, like I, I did make a comment yesterday when I was chatting with some of the people uh, in the in the like the you know the, the Zoom that we had for beers, nachos and beer Zoom call we had, um, most of the, most of the people in in the conference, most of the speakers, most of the attendees are from the sort of Denver area, I guess, which makes sense because it's kind of their hometown conference, right? Um, you know, but uh, but people were able to kind like I think you know Rich Turton was was involved. I don't know if he did a talk or not, but uh, he's over in the UK, you know, um, and so people were from like you know people like yourself. Jaime, mean, you were in Seattle, right? And I'm in Toronto. And, you know, we're all able to attend this conference. As, as And it did feel a lot like I was in Denver for the last three days. In fact, you know, I would look up at the clock and it'd be like 9, 10 o'clock at night, you know, and they were just wrapping up whatever activities they're doing over there. And that's, for when, when I go to that conference, I'm kind of like, I slip into that time zone and just sort of, you know, my mind just, you know, adjusts to it. And I felt that kind of same sort of thing. So it was interesting. I, I think everybody lamented the fact that they wanted to have, you know, the conference in Denver. Next year, for sure. Um, but uh, you know, given given the kind of situation we're all in right now, we're all locked out, right? <laughs> so this is this is like it was actually surprised, and I, I did make a comment in the in the one of the slack comments conversations that it was one of the brighter moments of 2020. You know, based on all the non the the nuttiness that we've been going through, the fact that we could actually get together and you know break bread and and talk about you know <laughs> publishers and combine and stuff like that, you know, in the same space, right, and be in the same headspace, right, at the same time. So that was cool.
4: It's <laughs> It's definitely nice, especially because 360 is, um, 360 iDev, that is, is positioned in a kind of a funny place in the calendar year, right? Where, I mean, it can be painful for the presenters because, you know their their entire topic may be radically changed by WWDC and there are some who are very brave and say I'm going to learn something from June and be intelligent enough yeah. to speak about it uh, you know a few you know weeks later at uh, at 360 i dev but it it also has been a couple months since 360 uh, since WWDC so we have a little bit of an opportunity to come together as an opportunity and, and sort of have like a you know how's it going and and mini retrospective of like oh I, I didn't know that this thing was there oh interesting that that's happening in the betas i better watch out for that for the you know production release in september so i think it's 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 pretty well timed for that and uh, although i didn't participate uh that much i'll probably end up watching the videos when they become available more broadly um and for folks who are wondering i did um i did buy a ticket yeah, uh, you know show some support for, yeah, for I john that the 360 yeah. uh, this i don't know if you if you guys listen to uh the release notes uh podcast they had a two-part uh two episodes where they had a conversation with john and it sounds like it was quite the time trying to to pull that conference together given what had happened with covid it's it's worth a listen to those two episodes
2: yeah interesting yeah so I, you know, I I, sh- I sh- sh- shot on bucks, and I think you probably did something like that too, right? Just, just you know, not with the intention of having like an early bird or something like that. Just, just to hey, I believe in this conference, and and here's some money, and you know, I want to see it keep going, right? So, because I think that you know, we're finding this. Uh, we're we have a couple of uh, businesses that we're involved in here in Toronto, like Carol does sewing for a ballet, and uh, it's a nonprofit ballet, right? And it's you know, it's meant to to give girls and boys the the opportunity to dance and and learn about ballet and learn the craft and um you know they're not they're not having classes they haven't heard from the rehearsal halls if if there's going to be any any possibility of them doing classes in in september of course they had to end the year early they didn't do their every year carol does a recital and so she's crazy doing costumes you know in in april for like a may show and of course that all shut down real quick and that's why she pivoted over to doing masks right um she needed she had that energy and she was ready you know this is the first year in like I don't know 20 30 years that I've known her that she wasn't sewing for the ballet right so um yeah so and I think a lot of businesses are gonna gonna be um are gonna be closing down um and and it would be a shame to see something like 360 I Dev not survive which is you know again why I made my contribution right so uh, do do my part right Yeah. Anyway, it's it a good show I mean like uh I think you know there there is a model of con- of talk that can be done this way I mean like uh I, I could see I don't see why we couldn't have you know our regular meetups, like our local heads kind of meetups, this way too. Like you know, just sort of everybody just get a can of beer or a glass of beer and and join a Zoom call after after uh, after a presentation of some type, right? So um, you know, we don't have to be physically in the same space, although that's always nice to do, right? Uh, and you went to a virtual meetup too, right? I mean, one in the UK.
4: Yeah, it's kind of funny that you mentioned the the meetups thing. It's the the ones that I've traditionally gone to. I'm I'm just gonna have to throw some shade at my uh, my Seattleites. <laughs> <laughs> the the Seattle X coders West side and East side editions have, uh, have not had virtual editions. Um, I, I don't know the inner workings why, but, um, you're right. I've participated. I, I presented at mobile knots, K N O T T S. I think, yeah, I think it's K N O T T S for Nottingham. Um, you know, it's in the United kingdom and I've, uh, participated in, uh, write the docs, Toronto, um, a different one that was over in Spain. I want to say like there, Everything going online for these meetups sort of made it more plausible for me to meet other people and and get exposed to a couple other different things. So it's a little bit different than than being in person. Uh, I'm not going to lie; it is a little bit challenging to not have the you know in person connectedness of like, oh, cool, I've never tried that kind of beer. I will try that too, right? Or you know, whatever drink, coffee or soda or something. Um, But it is interesting to see you know more perspectives than I would have seen merely going. to the local in-person meetup so it's kind of a, a a giveth and taketh away kind of situation i think i don't know that one is is necessarily better than the other i think there's just different trade-offs for the different kinds of, of meetups but well, while we're talking about it i did put it in the show
2: notes so i'm going to talk about it now and that that i went to we speaking of local meetups um we have a group here ns coders in toronto that are behind the swift to conference which is traditionally in august as well right um and so the they had they booked a conference i'd bought a ticket back in i bought an early bird ticket a while ago and uh they they ended up cutting the price in half um and uh, i just sort of said well then make more than just code a sponsor and um uh they um they had a virtual uh, workshop so they had a full day long 9 nine thirty a.m to four thirty p.m they had paul hudson from the uk come on and do um sort of catch us up on all of the new shiny swift ui stuff that we that to apple and Introduced at, uh, of course, you know, Paul Hudson only needs 20 minutes to prepare something after Apple introduces it, right? But um, yeah, so we went through all the sort of cool stuff. We went through disclosure groups and uh, the new grid system. Um, we and he did a, He did a couple of examples where he he would sort of have a sort of a basic generic SwiftUI app and go through the principle with us, do the coding, and then he jumped over to an example app and we would modify the app to to with what we just learned from him. Um, um, and we also did a we also took a like a short uh, look at uh, app clips which is kind of interesting too so um that was a day-long um uh, conference so that was sort of an interesting thing too where where you've got you know paul hudson's attention for the entire day and uh, and he's going through all the sort of new stuff and you know it's code along with paul kind of deal right so of course i took 100 screenshots because i couldn't keep up with them <laughs> but, um yeah it was it was a good good day like you know i'll have i have some you know some things that i had wouldn't have tried out, like the new map kit stuff um, you know for for uh, laying out maps in in uh, swift UI and and the kind of uh, markers you can put in there or to you know, to, you know a little pit and you drop the pin and you put the marker and what have you and how do you do the locations from one place to another that kind of thing um, so yeah that was a really interesting interesting talk too so um, I think it's going to come out the video for that's going to come out in a week or so as well um, we have access to to the video now as as attendees but I think that uh, um, uh, the hosts are going to make that available as well, too. So that was an interesting way of to, to, you know, have this kind of conference get-together thing. And in that case, too, there were, again, there were people from around the world, not just uh, the Toronto area that uh, joined the conference as well. That was good. That's our virtual, com- virtual conference coverage done virtually on Zoom.
4: So my pick is, um, you know, in the collect them all sort of thing, we've talked about uh, for sure, Microsoft and Google, possibly even IBM opening up their uh, machine learning courses and Amazon is doing the same thing here. So we've got the link in the show notes for y'all. Amazon's machine learning university is going to be available uh, to the public. And it's the, as they say here, it's the same training that they offer to their employees. So uh, as you might imagine, machine learning is uh, a big part of Amazon's business and they want to infuse that knowledge through more and more of their employee base. They've had this this training available and uh, now they're making it available to us out in the public, which is cool. cool.
2: Is this based on like Android or is it like platform independent kind of stuff?
4: I don't know. I haven't really looked into it. I assume the concepts are going to be independent of platforms, but uh, given that this is coming from Amazon, I just assume that they would use, uh, you know, AWS uh, technologies as part of the here's the practical tool he use for this implementation right very similar to what we've seen for uh google's courses that talked about the uh, the principles but then said cool now go run this code lab of um you know on google Tensor cloud flow. platform yeah, yeah exactly yeah. tensorflow yeah. etc yeah. yeah yeah all righty cool that's neat free, free learning is always good right it's really hard to complain about free educational materials being out in the world
2: <laughs> yeah yeah for sure for sure
4: all right um so i
2: have a couple of picks here uh, one was uh, a, an article that I saw uh, the other day. I think One um, Password had, had mentioned it on uh, their Facebook page, and uh, basically, it's the best password managers to secure a digital life. We've talked about uh, password managers many, many times. Our, our favorite one tends to be One Password. I don't know if Mark's a user. I know Jaime and I are users of One Password. Um, in fact, I have a family account, and I've got I have now three ma- three family members using it, as well as myself. Um, and it goes through the one goes through, sort of a ranking here. Um, the best overall, of course, is One Password. Kudos to them for that. Um, as well, there's some free options. One from one called Bitwarden, um, and there's uh, another full-featured one called Dashlane. And uh, there's a, there's a free yeah there's a self-hosted one called KeyPass XC, which kind of looks window-ish to me. But uh, yeah, so you can you can run your own and uh, interest and a new one is that's come out. I've heard about this recently is NordPass, which is an interesting one. And um, I think it's funny that or is it funny or is it sad or whatever it is that honorary mention last pass we normally talk about one password and last pass sort of almost in the same sentence but uh, I just find it curious as to why last last pass is down here um, in the honorable mentions category. Any thoughts on that?
4: It it is a little strange and I kind of wonder uh, if it, I don't know if it's just a particular point of view, if it's the kind of circles I run in that that differ from this Mm. author's or maybe maybe it's the children who are wrong, maybe the author is the one who's uh, who's out Of touch right. Um. I, yeah. I. When I look at this list, I think well in the enterprise I think that LastPass tends to have the uh, uh, the broader base. It's not talking necessarily about um, you know qualitatively is LastPass the best? I've I've used it before at uh, at jobs. It, you know it does a pretty good job of dealing with teams. It's to my usage kind of clunky compared to to password which is my favorite. I, I think it works pretty well. I've not managed a, a family or a team, so I haven't done a lot of experience with that. Uh, I don't know if it if it loses out in in the, the corporate buying world because you know maybe they have a smaller sales team or heck maybe just because it's canadian and i work in the united states so there could be that aspect but uh looking away from those Bitwarden and keypass are uh some open source ones what well, i think they're both open source it's certainly one of the open source that keeps getting mentioned a lot in the the reddit or hacker news sort of world where people are like i don't want to pay for this and also i want to be able to look at the code make sure it's not doing anything nefarious i think that's where those sort of um come in quite nicely and uh dash lane uh, we've definitely mentioned before right we we mentioned their um you know my passing familiarity with it and i think they had the really cool super bowl commercial um they've been around for a while but it seems like maybe they're kind of on a on an up-and-comer sort of thing from a you know revitalized very curious to see how that works but i had um honestly completely blind to NordPass, pass um and i'm a little shocked that they didn't mention dropbox's new feature that does password management oh really yeah Hmm. but you know i think I say without, you know, I am not a lawyer. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm also not your IT, you know, administrator. I, I would guess it, it'd be really hard to go wrong with probably any one of these, uh, compared to remembering your passwords, you know, yourself or heaven forbid reusing the same password everywhere, regardless of how, uh, how strong you think that, uh, that 64 character password is like it just needs to be exposed in one place and you're toast. Whereas using a password manager means that you really only have What you should
3: a, do is have a 64-character password and change one letter each time. That'll that'll work really <laughs> well. Oh, man. Truth, truth be told,
4: there there are older systems that I have worked with in the past and they had like, oh, this, this password needs to be changed every month. I'm like, oh, good. So what you've done is you've encouraged me to come up with a system where I add one at the end, two at the end, three at the end, four <laughs> until right. I get around to the full year. I was like, cool. Now one is okay Again, because it's fallen yeah. out of your your silly check. Uh, but yeah, I've I've lived that life. I've I've not liked it. <laughs> I prefer being able to just tell one password, generate me a, a super strong password. Cool. I don't give a crap what it is because I don't need to remember that. You remember that for me on all my
2: devices. Yeah, it's funny you know. Like I I, I started using one pass one password. That started offering you know word passwords. Apparently they're stronger where you have like four words and they're separated by punctuation.
4: Yeah, pass phrases is what they call them.
2: Some some sites won't take. Them. That, right, because it's not got alphanumerics or whatever. But but just as a side note here, so so we talked about LastPass in the honorable mentions. I think one of the reasons why it says here that they've dropped their Mac OS app because citing Apple's changes in their rules, so in their developer tools. So hmm, makes me wonder. And the other one we didn't mention here is from uh, the folks who brought us TunnelBear. Uh, they're a Toronto uh, Toronto group. Um, they've got a new product called Remember <laughs> that, that uh, does the same sort thing and that they're, they're part of the same tunnel a company well, that's kind of cool right? wait so they're also um, on,
4: what's, with, what's with Torontonians and encryption what's what's up with that what are you, what are you all hiding over there inquiring minds want to know anyway uh,
2: so my stealth picks are something that I picked up from, from 360 iDev today I've actually downloaded one of them and one of them I already have access to because I'm a set app uh, um, subscriber this is what I was talking about with Josh Michaels uh, softwares so he's involved with the people he's not the guy who made the aerial Mac Screensaver, but if you have an Apple TV and you've watched anything on Apple TV and you've left your Apple TV alone for a few minutes while it goes into its screensaver mode, you get these awesome aerial screensavers, right? Um, so they've uh, this aerial screensaver you can put on your Mac uh, loads up. I'm not sure if it's the same content you get on the Apple Apple server, but or sorry, on the, from Apple for the for the Apple TV, but same sort of idea. You got these really cool uh, flyovers of different things and. Uh, that that ends up being your your uh, your screensaver, and I loaded it up. On, I've got three screens on my on my desk right now, and a little while ago I left it alone, and there was this really cool, you know, flyover happening like there's a fly of the Catalina Islands, which is kind of cooler than Apple's one, which is kind of neat. But the product that uh, he was talking about that's on Setup is called 24-hour wallpaper, and it was, you know, like when Apple came up with Mojave, they, they call them dynamic desktops, where they've got the, you know, the Mojave Mountain, and depending on the time of day, the color of the image changes, right? So during the day, it's nice and bright, at night that's sort of a cool, you know, sand dune kind of look to it. Um, so this 24-hour wallpaper apparently has been around for quite a while it wasn't there, Apple wasn't the first one to come up with this idea but but uh, yeah if you like that kind of uh, kind of thing um, and you're a set app subscriber uh, you can grab 24 hour wallpaper and it's the same sort of thing which it's a dynamic uh, desktop that uh, changes as the day changes for you so uh, those are both uh, Joss Michaels involved in both of those products although the second one 24 hour wallpaper is his, his product so that's uh, those are my picks Give them try. and the uh, Ariel uh, the aerial screensaver is not on the Mac App Store. It's actually downloaded and side loaded, as we were talking about earlier at the top of the show. That's cool. All righty, so I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, how many people want to get in touch with you? How will they find you? I'm on Twitter as Hair. All right, and Mark, if people want to get in touch with
3: you? MarkR at SmapSoft.com.
2: All right, and as I say every week, my name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. On the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So, until next time, we'll see. Bye. Bye. This
1: has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. This is CNN. What's that? Oh, I just thought the James Earl Jones thing was kind of cool. Oh, wrong show, right? If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast's Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.
3: Okay, I can log into Twitter now. I had to, I had to kill a bunch of a uh, bunch of stuff, and my, my machine just almost died there. I was kind of expecting the, the call to go out, but it kind of got into the uh, spinning beach ball mode, and everything is incredibly slow and draggy, and you know, Windows take ten minutes to open.
4: Yeah, you're you're uh, you're writing that one into the ground. I'm assuming I don't think this is a new one, right? You still got yeah. That. No, this is
3: my 2013. Yeah, yeah. I gotta I gotta get a new machine.
4: Yeah. At this point, you kind of. I mean unless you're willing to to see this happen um, you kind of want to wait like a month or two to see if anything comes on in September or
3: October right yeah yeah for sure yeah see if they come up with a apple silicon machine
4: oh that'd be interesting if you went that route I meant just like even just a refresh of the Intel's uh if, oh I if, you see. Did, if you didn't want well, to they, jump into the the silicon they
3: usually don't uh they usually don't update Macs in the fall right the Macs are usually in the spring aren't they
4: yeah although off the 2019 uh, the 60 inch macbook pro that i have i thought that one came out in fall but hmm, you know maybe. it was like okay. you know an odd duck when it came out so maybe it was off cycle yeah i know
2: yeah hey do you guys know if i tag a commit can i check out that commit or sure of
4: course yeah yeah and and i'd, I'd say oh are you doing this through you're like github or are you doing it through a command No,
2: line? I'm, I'm in xcode I, I i so when i was oh, working yeah, along code. with paul when i was working with paul hudson um he was using the same file and so he would he would write some code and then He would wipe it again, go back to like the beginning where you just got the the standard content view and then he would do some, a different thing. And as he was doing it through the day, I just kept committing. I would wipe, I would work along with him. I'd wipe back to the beginning, but then I would, you know, I've got lazy V stack. I've got disclosure group. I've got tab view, paging, you know, paging dots and all that stuff. I've got the grid views, multiple columns, adaptive columns. Um, map annotations um, the um, what do you call it we have the parent and the children views do you know what they call that uh, sidebars and, and animating animating things in, in swift UI so anyway I, I just used the same file and I just did a commit for each one of the different uh, endpoints in the in the, um, the demos so I just wondered if I could I thought I had done them as separate but I was gonna see if I could break them out into separate branches but because they're all sort of indistinct from each other yeah what do you think yeah well
3: of I, course you can yeah you can definitely commit or pull, check out a check out a commit um, yeah now Actually, can you do that directly in X? Yeah, you, can. you for sure can in Xcode. Uh, can you check out a tag in Xcode? Is something I actually never do. I, I I do everything command line, so I don't really. know. So would I
2: be able to check out the ta- check out the commit right? Because yep. I, I finished it at this point and I said okay, this is lazy VStack. So could I check that out and then branch, create a branch from there, and then go back to the main and then do the next one?
4: Sure. Yeah. the The reason I asked you some of the the usage you were doing is that depending on your use case, you may or may not care about the difference between between. between an annotated tag versus an unannotated tag. And I honestly don't know which one, if, you know, maybe both that Xcode supports, because similar Mark, I end up using the the command line for this. The the thing to know is that like a normal git tag uh, for the git command line, and we'll talk about GitHub because it it muddies the waters. A normal git tag is just like a pointer to a commit and it's very lightweight, right? You can say like, oh, this was like, you know, right before lunch tag. All right, cool. You know, no, no Mm -hmm. harm, no foul. You're letting yourself know, like, this is what I was doing. Um, and I can come back to this if I wanted to change uh, to something else later. Um, if you wanted to share tags with somebody else, like for tagging a release and saying, this is version 1.6.7 of the app, and, and you're sharing with a team as an example, you want an annotated tag because that's like an actual like commit object or something where it has an author and um, uh, uh, a hash uh, associated with it, right? So you couldn't accidentally overwrite your, your teammates tag if it's an annotated tag. But they can absolutely overwrite your tags if you both push to the same remote or the unannotated tags. And where it ends up getting sort of complicated is that uh, you know, GitHub's UI, when it says like, you know, create a tag, they really mean create an annotated tag because they are intending for you to do like tag a release sort of thing. So it's very muddy as a terminology there. But maybe you so, don't care. Maybe you just want to know, like, yeah. hey, <laughs> I want to get to this particular point on my local project. Then I think you're probably just fine. And, and yes, you can check those out, Tim. They're, they're definitely for you to be able to go back to that point in time.
3: Yeah, and I'm looking inside Xcode now and you absolutely can create tags and check out tags in within Xcode, which probably everybody knew, but uh like I said I do it on command line.
2: Yeah, you're old school.
4: Yeah, so you're <laughs> saying that he was um doing something and then showing like, well this is what we could do, but that's not actually the main part of what we're doing. I'm just showing you what was possible. So now I'm going go well, no, to go back to a did, tag of, like we were on the right path.
2: Yeah, two approaches he he um he uh we created a sandbox file, right? Sandbox project. Right. And then, um, like for instance, he wanted to do the first exercise was lazy, lazy V stack. Right. So he, he, brought in some JSON with country names and some flag images. Right. And then we made a, a list and just, uh, use the lazy V stack to, for performance purposes, right? Like if you have a big, huge data set, um, you know, the lazy V stack behaves similar to like the reusable or what do you call them? Um, DQ, DQ reusable cell, uh, call in table view same sort of idea as that right that's where you because you could just have a v stack right of, of elements that are vertically stacked right or you could have a lazy v stack for when you have a, a lot of them and you need performance right um, that's where like, lazy so so he did that like he started off with the plain you know hello world um, you know standard Swift UI view and then we went through and modified it and so then at that point I committed right called it lazy v stack and then we then he rewound everything back down to like he got rid of all the content and just popped in a you know hello world text view again and then uh he went on to the next thing which was this disc- disc, um disclosure groups where you have like a you know a parent and like for instance i've got this thing that says show saying and then the saying was the rain in spain right kind of thing but um that was a, demonstrating how you dis- do disclosure groups right and then uh, back to the main basic. So so as I did, well, like I said, in my main, um, oh, this is interesting. I just realized this. The name of the branch is main, not that other word that we're not supposed to use anymore. And this is an Xcode 12, right?
4: They changed that for the the betas. So coming in September, yeah. when you yeah. create a new project, it will use main instead of master. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's a corresponding version of Git, like 228 or something, that when that comes out by default, it will use main when creating branches, uh, creating repos. Yeah, something I've seen um, books do and, and sometimes uh, workshops do is they'll have the repository and then they'll say, you know, if you're if you're looking to follow along or you got to step out, you know, we'll have these different tags in the repository that you can check out. So um, if it was a book, it might say, you know, chapter one, two, three, four, five. And, you know, assuming they're using the same project throughout the entire book and they're making modifications to it. Um, or during workshops, they're usually logically named, you know, like, you know, initial projects, um, you know, add our first data model, add our first screen, add a second screen, that sort of thing. So you can try to follow along. And the tags are pretty useful for that. It's certainly easier than telling you to check it. hey Tim, go check out commit A seven four two four six seven eight nine two, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> Come on, that's well, we use it.
3: Right, right. <laughs> yeah,
4: we, we use it in
2: we use it at work for um our cocoa pods, right? So for CocoaPod Pod version or for mm-hmm. our like our framework versioning
4: right tagging a version yeah and that's pretty useful to you right when you're like huh you know this version went wrong mm, well let me go check out that one and see what's different between between the previous one and and this one or maybe uh maybe you've got a regression in your latest coding like well how does it differ from the released version and then you can take a look and compare
3: now, how do I know where I'm checked out from you mean remote yeah like I or, just checked Or which out. branch you checked out no which commit which commit get status uh how do you do that next code oh it'll say
2: and <laughs> somewhere right? Oh, it's a sandbox nine eight whatever. Oh, head detached at blah blah blah. Says, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, so that's where I am. Okay, I'm just gonna create a branch from here.
3: And head detached means you can't uh, commit. Oh yeah. Hmm. You have to. Well, you have to create a new branch from this detached.
2: Yeah, which I just did. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All Like uh, even though I created this this new lazy v I have every other commit before it involved. Like so, you know what I mean? Like I checked out I checked out a particular commit, and I wanted to just you know have that code in the in the branch oh it's fine it's a demo app anyway
3: well you mean you want to just cherry pick that one commit into a branch yeah. into a new branch. yeah maybe that's what i want that's what you want to do, yeah, yeah. do in into, into a fresh branch because yeah,
2: well, if i right click on this i my cho- my choices are copy commit message cop- copy identifier email myself tag it branch from it or create cher- or I can branch from here but does that that is not just what i just did but cherry pick is just going to pull out the what's that pull out
3: it'll just pull out the one commit so if you branch you're getting your commit and all the previous commits right, up to okay. the one you branch on. But if you right. cherry pick, you just pull that one commit and pull pull that into it. some other branch which may oh, cause okay. problems
2: yeah no it says not on that yeah. branch yeah
4: okay yeah all right i'll just look at it. Ch- cherry picking can be useful um for a couple different ways like uh one would be oh i'm on a different branch but i kind of need the changes that bob and sally were working on from their branch all right, all right well i can cherry pick it, it's it's dangerous because you could totally hose up i'm not good enough at this to avoid it but I'm, you could totally hose up you know what they're trying to do so it, it can take some coordination but one thing i have have used cherry picking for in a very useful case is like oh no i've screwed up this branch (laughs) i need to check out like uh the commit that i know that things were okay and then cherry pick over the the stuff that's actually good to see yeah, yeah 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 Tim uh, Sticker Mule sent me a Tim Mitra shared the following. It I sent it to you. You did okay. I sent it because it came from yeah. Sticker Mule. But I'm like, <laughs> that seems like <laughs> spam. I don't think Tim probably would have told me. Yeah, so I was like liars. And the, oh, okay, he, he actually did. All right, this is to reorder <laughs> pin, acrylic pins and oh, it's got all the other stickers and stuff too. Okay, cool.
2: Yeah. Uh, so what I did was uh, was uh, the, the holographic ones. They need to be a black keel and the white keel doesn't look very good. But uh, no, I just ordered. They just had a deal on pins for like like nine bucks or something like that for for a sample of them, right? So I figured, well, what the hell, just try it out. But then after I finished my order, it said, oh, you can share it with your friend. And I thought, well, if I send it to Mark, it's just going to go into a spam folder, right? Not anymore. So I, turned it off, no.
3: I turned off that rule. <laughs> <laughs> That's no longer there.
2: <laughs> couldn't resist but just sorry. to be safe i'm gonna check <laughs> <laughs> no i didn't send it to you I didn't okay. send it to you. but uh yeah i know i sent it. i mean like because carol was like oh do you want some more masks made up I'm like well we're not going to see anybody right so did, did, we sent you extra masks all right didn't we or how many
4: how many did you get i got a pack of three and i thought it was pretty interesting that you all had the the little uh piece of paper printed in yeah carol, carol that. threw that in yeah yeah i'm like oh that's yeah. a pretty sensible It's like hey by the way like these aren't intended for you to go be you know completely irresponsible
2: <laughs> wear it for a week yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you,
4: know, you got to watch these things and uh they're, they're not yeah. meant to to um be in replacement of social distancing right like i was like oh that's a and then you 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 attach it onto the loop so you like you have to have the person remove it uh, and and hypothetically oh, did she do that? Have read oh it. i didn't know that so that i thought that was pretty oh. smart so all three were Carol. were She's looped together tricky. with a little piece of paper that was stapled.
2: Oh, neat. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. Anyways, I, I think she gave you three because like, she wanted to give you one to give away. Because like, normally we send two, right? One, one to wear and one to wash sort of thing, right? Oh,
4: well. At least. Okay. Well, I've only, well I think I've worn two. So you're telling me I'm supposed to save the third one?
2: <laughs> no, I mean, if you want to give it to somebody, you can give it to somebody. If not, otherwise, just use it yourself, right? So Yeah, yeah. As long as you're supporting the brand and, you know, grocery shop. And people go, what's that MTJC about? You know,
4: (laughs) yeah, no, that's that's good because I've I've worn at least two so far. Um, Okay, don't you have regular masks? I do. I have uh, I have masks from uh, from Old Navy. I have oh yeah, uh, I have Dallas Cowboys masks. I have Star Wars masks. Now I have MTJC masks. So I'm definitely all masked up now after being severely without at the beginning of the pandemic. Right. So people are wondering, oh, why do you have so many masks? Like one, uh, it means I don't have to. like immediately wash them i can isolate them and and wash them as a bundle and two it also means that uh, rather than trying to shove everything all right well well, i wore this mask kind of need to go Mm -hmm. take out the trash should i use another mask yeah it's uh, it's like well now it's like yeah obviously i'll just use a fresh mask they're they're practically disposable and then i'll just end up washing them all and reusing them uh, which is better than the disposable, which is nice and uh, i kind of feel like well worst case uh assuming we get through the pandemic should another thing come up in a similar way i have extras that i can distribute to people who would need them it's not everybody's gonna you know not everybody's <laughs> gonna store masks uh, once we get through this whole thing
2: well our our uh our head physician canadian medical whatever woman the woman dr tam who's in charge of whatever she says we're going to be wearing masks for uh at least another year if not two right so there's a the new, the new we were talking about them earlier the new the new uh iphone case or the new the, like t-shirts or whatever like you know yeah going to yeah. be the a new way you identify, right? Yeah, you have your your Guns and Roses mask and your <laughs> Rolling Stones mask.
4: I'm surprised yeah. it took as long as it did for all of these different companies to um yeah. to to retool and start taking advantage of the, the opportunity they had. I mean. Let's not, you know, say like, oh, like it would have been better if they'd done it for like your community. I'm like, I'm sure it would if they'd done it out of the goodness of their hearts. But at the very minimum, you would think, hey, we have a, you know, a very uh, popular brand. I bet we could sell more swag, by making <laughs> turn that t-shirt material into into face mask material and boom, we're done. Uh, apparently it was more complicated than that, which probably speaks to a lot of the, the challenges in, you know, supply chains that it's not as easy to turn on a dime as, as we might think. Yeah. But yeah, thank you. I definitely, definitely appreciate them. Yours
2: hasn't have arrived yet, Mark.
3: Oh, oh! I didn't know you sent any. No, I haven't gotten yes. any. Yes, yeah. Mine just popped the up out there, there for, a for a moment.
2: I don't want you to feel left out, or nothing, <laughs> Mark. <laughs>
3: yeah, they just showed yeah. up out of the blue.
4: Um, they were delivered by the U.S. Postal Service, so yeah, that, that might slated. be the problem. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. They're they're going by the slow slow boat. Yeah. Well,
3: for, sure. for me, U.S. Post, Postal Service is actually much faster than UPS right now. UPS is a disaster. It takes an extra week, even for you know, you, they send it overnight, and it still takes an extra week.
4: That's weird. UPS is usually pretty decent here in my area. I wonder what's going on there.
3: It's always been perfect up until the pandemic, but it's just been a mess. And the worst part is that they don't just tell you that it's going to be an extra week. If they did, they said, look, you know, we got drivers out sick, pandemic, it's going to be an extra week. Okay, fine. But what they do is every single day they say, Oh, it's going to be delivered today and it isn't. And then at really? nine o'clock at night, they say, Oh, delayed one day. What at least they've got a little better at the beginning. They were doing things like I would get a message at nine o'clock at night for a package that was being delivered from, let's say, Arizona, right? I would get a, I would get a message saying, Oh, your package was delayed because of export compliance, uh, nonconformance. Like what the? it's not coming from out of the country. It's coming from Arizona. Really? Yeah. And then the next day that message is gone and there's a new message that's equally inane. And then a week later it shows up. Yeah. It's terrible. Wow.
4: Yeah. I, uh, I've actually seen the converse of that happen where, you know, normally I just assume that this stuff ends up coming by ground because it's the cheapest way. And mm-hmm. I can't remember which set of masks it was that I got, but it was coming. Oh, you know what? It was probably the, it was probably the star Wars ones. Cause it was coming out of Jacksonville in Florida. And then it, sort of made its way up the coast to new york and it said oh it's going to deliver tomorrow i'm like dude it's not delivering tomorrow it took like a couple days to get from jacksonville to new york i'm like unless they put that damn thing on a plane it is not coming here tomorrow and guess what mm. it did come because i guess mm. it was on truck getting its way to the plane that was coming to the seattle area i was very shocked but it was also very you know it, it wasn't like i could predict what was going to happen right like i predicted wrong i said oh obviously they're pulling shenanigans like what you just talked about like like, there's no way it's coming tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it did, but usually it doesn't happen that way. Usually it's like is it going to be delivered today. I'm like, is it though? It's 7 p.m. I don't think it's going <laughs> to be delivered unless they come at midnight. So I'm pretty sure that's tomorrow morning they're delivering that. Right? They they play those games with the the numbers. Yeah, yeah. I should
3: check if it's waiting at my door though. Hold on one second.
2: With the excitement. Drum roll, please. Doesn't go outside, this guy.
3: He's taken a while. It sounds like he has it. Oh, no sign of it. No?
2: Alright.
4: You win that one, Tim. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
3: Oh, what? You actually thought it was going to be there? Yeah,
4: because it was taking a little while from the sounds that we were hearing in the background and Tim said, I, I don't think it's there. And I said, alright, I'll take the counter. I'll think it's there oh, okay. just because of the yeah. time it's taking. <laughs> it sounded like you were inspecting the package to see if it was actually from Tim.
3: Oh, no, no. Really, What's all I did was I went to the door, I und- undid the deadlock and opened open the door. Did that make some weird noises? I guess. Okay. I, I heard uh,
4: metal moving, so I assumed it was. Yeah, it was
3: probably the deadlock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The deadbolt. I mean, not deadlock, deadbolt, deadlock. <laughs> I've been working with threads lately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I discovered uh, that was I talking about this already? That that oh maybe I talked about this in the last one. That a common misconception among young young junior engineers is, or or confusion with young engineers is between async and sync and serial and yeah. You mentioned current. that. Yeah, did I talk about that? Yeah. Okay, all right. all right, yeah,
4: yeah. But I, you know what? I, I listened to that part of the episode. We didn't actually resolve it for people. On the oh. It a, oh, they're different. It's an exercise to, <laughs> to the reader to figure that an out. Exercise to the listener. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: This is a test. Are you? A, does anyone want to admit they're a junior engineer and are confused?
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just in this standoff here. It was like, well, I know what it is, but why don't you tell people what it is?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you tell me what you think it is, and I'll tell you if you're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> it can be a tricky thing because um, a related confusion is, oh, well, concurrent in things ends up being faster than serial, right? It's like, well, <laughs> kind of depends. <laughs> don't be yeah. don't be mistaken by by you know the 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 uh, quantitative attributes of some things that happen to be serial and some things that happen to be uh, you know concurrent. Like there's. You know, uh, depending how long it takes you to set up and do the concurrent parts um, may be longer than just like really fast turnaround on let's just serially do these things. I remember being very confused uh, pretty early on as a person getting into computers. I'm like, oh, so um, what was I comparing? It, it was like on the physical cable that was like, oh, the serial port sucks because it's got to send data in a series. And, the, you know, it's like a physical line, right? Like you, you you get all backed up waiting for things to move over. And so Obviously, having you know this 20 pin connector or something that does things in parallel, uh, that's going to be faster. It's like, well, no, actually, that parallel is going to be slower than this other thing that does things in serial but happens to not have the same sort of timing delays that uh, the original serial port had. I'm doing a very terrible job of describing what this was, and I'm probably gonna have to do research to figure it out. But that was one of the first sort of entries into, well, the, it's not necessarily true that one is better than the other for, for all cases. I'm gonna get the stickers and some. Pins
3: here. Well, I will we call be, it. Yeah, I'll be watching mm-hmm. for those masks. I do need some masks, so that's good. <laughs> I've been using. I, I bought at the beginning. I bought this package of like a hundred disposable masks, and I've been working through those. But you know, that's not the best for the for the world.
2: Yeah, you see the. I don't know if you saw the cartoon of um or you know those little newspaper cartoons of uh, some mice saying, "There's all these hammocks out there. People are just throwing yeah. them away." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Alrighty, we'll call that it hurts. a day. Sounds good. Time for me. All right, turn to a pumpkin. You okay. later. Talk to you later. yep Bye.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus. off your first order at Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing.